2: Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast, home of all things hard rock and heavy metal. I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. Now, let's get things started with the Talking Metal theme song, written by Rob Halford, Metal Mike, and Roy Z. (laughs) Hey guys, welcome to Talking Metal. Very special guest tonight, Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show, also known for writing some great books that I've really enjoyed. The most recent one I read, which I think is probably two years old at this point, is called "Call Me Chris." It's a you know true story about the horrific accident that Chris suffered and his recovery, and of course, there's always uh, some connection to the the rock and, and metal world that goes on in his writing. Although primarily this book is about his recovery and it's, uh, it's it's definitely a powerful read. Highly recommended. It's linked through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Go there and just click on over to Amazon and pick up a copy. It is, uh, it is great stuff. And again, a very powerful read. So let's get into one of Chris's favorite bands. We're going to talk about this band and he has a deep connection to Pantera uh, in a few different ways. This is Mouth for War, followed by my interview with Chris Aiken. guys would you please welcome to the talking metal podcast chris aiken from the classic metal show chris how are you i am good man how are you i'm great man i'm excited to talk to you and after all these years i think it's just great that you've agreed to to come on the show with me you know we've had a a feud in the past that at this point is a, a few years behind us and i'm just i'm glad to have you here to talk some metal
3: I'm glad to be here man and as much as you and I have talked you know behind the scenes I'm glad that that that, that nonsense is done man cuz it's it's good to get past it it was I don't want to say it was fun while it lasted but it made for some silly stuff but yeah. you know um you know at the same time it's good to move forward and it's good to be a little more grown up maybe than I personally was so right. you know take that as as is
2: yeah, me too. And let's let's see what our listeners think. But you know, regardless of what they think, we're here talking on the Talking Metal Podcast. Exactly. So you've written some great books, and I've read three of them. I was I was thinking I read two of them, but then I realized I read the Metallica one too. So I want to talk about those books. But first, you know, I just wanted to get into a little bit of your your history on cms and and how that started because you guys are possibly one of the longest running if not the longest running like internet streaming podcasting hard rock heavy metal show out there and uh, you know you've been doing it a very long time so let's let's go back to the beginning where did you and neely first meet
3: Um, well, I actually, Neely had another co-host, you know, he, he had a, he had the show in a little small station just North of Akron, Ohio. And he had another co-host who was a personal friend of mine. And I had a music magazine and, um, his friend introduced us at a black crows concert actually. And, um, you know, while we were, we were chit chatting, you know, it was one of those things where he threw out the blanket offer that everybody does like, Hey, if you ever want to come on and promote your magazine. Come on, you know, come on down. So I did one time in. wow, it had to be like 2000. Wow. In, in, and, um, now this came is an
2: on, actual radio show or was it internet radio
3: at that point? That, at that point it was an actual radio show. Okay. And, um, and so I came on the show and we, and I kind of pushed his co-hosts out of the way and, him and I had some immediate chemistry because at that point it was just a, it was really just a music show. And then he would come out of breaks and say, Hey, that was Jackal. And here's a band I like it's Y and T. And, you know, it was just that kind of a show. But then I started coming down to promote my magazine. And before long we were doing little bits and I was doing impressions and, you know, we were interviewing guys and, you know, it just kind of turned into something. So Fast forward a couple years, I ended up doing his website for him. And one of the things that we did, and this is how long ago this was, was put his the entire six hour show up on the web every every week. And the way we would do it is he would he would swing by my house after doing the show at three AM and he would put cassettes wow. in my mailbox. And then I would have to take the cassettes and I would have to play all six hours into my computer on a Sunday. And rip them to real audio. <laughs> and, wow. that's, and that's how we, we started being on the internet, though, was because I was putting the show up all six hours on, on his website, and you know we were actually streaming, and this was 2000, 2001. I mean, it was wow. at the very beginning of streaming. So we did that for a few years, and then he had a job opportunity, which took him to Chicago, and... When when he did that, then he was doing the show with like live three sixty-five, mm. you know, on Saturdays for like twelve people or twenty people or whatever it was. But the technology got better, and I'm a tech, you know. I mean, in in my real life, one of the things I do is I own an IT business, so I am tech savvy. And as we got moving forward, Skype got better and better, and we got to where we could sort of do the show co-hosting in in like two thousand and i attempt to say 2005. I joined the show full time, and we were off and running. and And it's just kind of kind of gone like that since.
2: And in 2005, that's about the same time you started technically podcasting the show, too, right?
3: Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah we we were we were very 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 early. I I remember the first time I put up iTunes. That was back when you could actually call somebody at iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because the tech was so confusing. And I remember talking to the guy for hours on how to write all the code for posting a podcast. And when when the podcast actually started, there were 13 total podcasts on iTunes, and we were one of them. We were at the we were at the very very beginning. Now that might not have been all across the board, but that was just like music podcasts. There was 13. Wow. And we were one all the way back in. That might even have been 2004 because that might have been before I actually came on. So right, right, it was yeah. crazy.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, and when you look at where podcasting just is now, I feel like it wasn't really until like four or maybe five years ago that it just really started to I- explode. And, you know, now everyone has a podcast, listens <laughs> to a podcast and, and I mean, but this technology has been been around for a while. How, how did you first discover the, the podcasting technology?
3: Um, well, I'm a dork and, uh, you know, I, I, anything I see, I try and I, I just remember reading about it. Um, uh what's his name? Adam Curry? Is he the yeah, one? Of us? Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Uh you know, I read something about about it and and I was also in addition to doing the classic metal show, I had my show, the metal show on um FM. On, on FM. Right. And we we were trying to do it there as well. You know, we were we were trying to podcast some of our interviews and stuff there. So, it was just kind of you know, saw it and wanted to be ahead of the curve and wanted to try something unique and cool and, you know, lucked into something that actually hit, you know? So I, I, I mean, I think I just read an article, you know, in like variety or something and was like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. But you know, podcasting to me, especially now, I, I, I can't talk highly enough about it. It's, it's, it's the game changer. It has really eliminated all of the, all of the BS of, uh, you know, of corporate radio, you can't yes. hide behind the fact that you have a contract anymore because somebody that somebody that's not afraid to swear and somebody that's not afraid to have a hard opinion and isn't necessarily trying to make money can steamroll right by you mm-hmm. at, you know, not that our show is huge or small or whatever it is what it is, but you know, we get a lot of audience that it, we're, we're taking a lot of audience from a lot of FM stations that, you know, where people don't want to hear the Waka Waka radio anymore. And right, and right. you guys have been doing that for a while too. And it's the same thing. It's you know, it's it's a very different medium, but it's a medium where regular people can be regular people and more and more, I think that's what people want. They don't want to hear, hey, it's three after the hour, and right after the sports, we're going to get to traffic, and then your favorite song by Jackal. Right. No, one, no one wants to hear that anymore.
2: Yeah, no, totally. Now, you mentioned the audience, the, and let's talk about the CMS audience, because from from where I stand, uh, it, uh, it seems as though you're, you guys have a strong, devoted, loyal, very loyal audience. Uh, a more so than some other podcasts in my opinion what what has how has that loyalty uh become you know what what creates that loyalty i guess is what i'm trying to ask
3: um i think a lot of honesty you know i i think people People definitely know, especially with me more than Neely, but they know that if I say it, I damn well mean it. And they know that if I could, if I say it to, a, to the microphone, I would say it to somebody's face. And, you know, that's rare in, in broadcasting in general. I mean, you see it as well as I do. All these celebrities are phony yeah. and not that I'm a celebrity. I'm far from it, but you know, I, I tend to say what I think when I think, and I, I don't care what the consequences are. So I, I think that might have been the start of it. Um, certainly they liked um, a certain feud that used to happen. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they definitely liked that, and they definitely liked other feuds that we had as well. But um, I think in in 2012, you know, I took a little break from the show, trying unsuccessfully to save my marriage. But when I came back, when I came back to the show, you know, I, I sort of had a different attitude, and one of the things that I wanted to do with the show coming back was to share my my real life because my real life is stupid, ridiculous. You know, day to day, I do more stupid things that most people can't believe, whether it's good, or bad, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. You know, and and I told Neely when I came back, I said I can't talk about you know who the new singer of Queensryche is anymore. You know, I, I got to talk about my life and what I'm doing, and I think people will be interested in that. And we did that, and we've done that, and I've told all my crazy dating stories as I became newly single, and that was pretty funny and wild, and, you know, right. again, it was honest. But, you know, the audience exploded. It absolutely exploded. we went from, you know, in in the heyday up to, like, 2009, we were doing maybe, maybe 10,000 downloads a week on with the podcast. Now we're doing 30,000 and we're doing 3,000 live listeners on a Saturday. And it's awesome. I, I, and, and our YouTube channel is about to crack a million and our, our podcast is about to crack 3 million downloads. And you know, it, it, it's ridiculous how it's grown. And you know, you, you mentioned it and I'll, I'll celebrate our fans to death. They're, they're, They're loyal to the point of scary sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, even to me, you know, some of the porn that hits our chat room is outright (laughs) – it makes me turn the chat room off and I'm not very well (laughs) offended, but, um, but you know, it's one of those things that they are loyal and I do spend a lot of time interacting on online with, with our fans. And I, and I mean, not just a, Hey, thanks for listening, but you know, if our fans interact with me, if they throw me a message, uh, I'll talk to them for hours. I I don't, because it's I'm a regular dude, and I don't care how big the show gets or whatever. I'm never going to not be a regular dude. I'm a guy that hopefully everybody wants to have a beer or six with, and absolutely, just, and just you know, and it has grown us an audience.
2: Yeah. Now, you know, kind of to circle back around to Neely, it you know, I I love. Penn Gillette. I listen to his podcast and, and always been sure. a big fan of his and love the magic that, that uh that Penn and Teller do. And one thing I was surprised to find out when I read Penn's book was that he and Teller they're friends, but they're not everyone thinks they're best friends and they go everywhere together and they hang out together. And I guess I started to wonder just how much uh, you know, other Couples that I see or hear on the radio are how tight they are in real life, um, and how close are you and Neely in real life? Are you like super good friends or best friends? Like, like because I almost got from the book, the books that I read about you that you definitely have other friends that are probably closer to you than Neely. Sure. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's correct. I, I mean, I, I definitely have. You know, I have a, I have a core group of people. It's 10 people and it's called the core nine because I'm too lazy to change it. But, right. <laughs> um, um, but, and Neely's in there, but you know, he, he doesn't live here. Right. So that does, that does put some, some distance in there, but you know, I mean, him and I, we talk all the time, you know, we, we probably talk in fact really about the only day that I can guarantee you we don't talk is on Saturdays because, okay. uh, You know, we, we do not, it's one of the weird things about the show is we do not share topics at all. You know, we, 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 we both believe that the show is better when it's organic and the reaction is real. And it's not one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to bring up this story about whatever. And, you know, he, and he likes to, he knows what pushes my buttons. And a lot of times he'll bring stories like that to the table just to hear me start ranting and raving and yelling and hollering. And, and that's okay because that's kind of the show that we do. So, but to answer your question, I mean, we're, we're definitely tight. I mean, I do, in addition to doing the show with Neely, I actually do business with his company that, okay. Okay. I, I mean, I've built several websites for Neely with outside interests and I've done web work for many of his his companies and his friends and you know and so we we definitely we're definitely more than just hey we do the show and then we're gone you know we we're I would say he's one of my better friends definitely
2: very cool now you mentioned the the period where you left the show uh, mm-hmm. Which I guess was what, like two years, or even <laughs> more than more than that. Two, two,
3: two, it was from from January of two thousand nine to um, uh, about August of
2: two thousand twelve. Right. So. <laughs> We know that you left the show because there were, were issues with your marriage and you, know, yeah. you had to do that. And that's kind of been well documented. You've sure. I it's written about it in the book. You've you've spoken about it on, on CMS. But one thing I always wondered is what happened to the show while you were gone? Because honestly, it disappeared off my radar 100% during that time. I believe the podcast stopped. I didn't even did. know if the show was still going on during that time. And, and I think when I was at M3, Neely told me it was, right?
3: Yeah, it was. It, it, you know, it was a weird time. And, you know, like, like you said, it would, I, I had to leave. It was, it was last-ditch effort to save a failing marriage, and it didn't work. Right. And, but whatever. That's you know neither here nor there. Um, but during that time, he continued on. He did his six hours a week. But it, it clearly wasn't the same. It was definitely back to playing music, and you know he would take calls and read really long emails from from listeners and whatever, and and that was the extent of it. And no podcasts, and no podcasts, no nothing. But it, you know, and, and what's funny is, you know, I was on the sidelines. I didn't want to see it die because I had helped build it. Yeah, and you know, but it was that. Do I fight with my wife and go back on, or do I? You know, try and save you know half my money, so <laughs> so right, right, right. that was that was the decision I was left with. So I, I had to make the smarter decision. During that time, though, I tried frantically to get him to take on another co-host. I actually, I actually had him trying out different people. I recommended people. I vetted people, trying to get him another co-host, and he just wasn't feeling it. He. Yeah. Told me in 2009 and he told me the day that I came back that he knew I would come back. So he didn't want to fill the slot because he just wanted to wait until I came back. And you know what? That proved to be pretty prophetic when you, when you look at it now, but it almost killed the show. I mean, the show was like, like I said, it was, it was, I think the, the best numbers we saw were about 800 listeners in a week. Yeah. Not that that's horrible. I mean, I know a lot of shows that would like that, but that those, and and those were down from 10,000 and those 800 were probably just like, you know, like legacy listeners that that was just what they were used to doing. Right. Right. And, and, you know, it, it it was a dark period, but it can't, but it came back and I'm amazed that the show has grown has not only come back, but grown and you know, I, I'm happy that it has.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations. It sounds like you're getting Thanks. just great numbers now. And we'll, we'll kind of segue off a, a CMS uh, in sure. a minute, but I, you know, to kind of go into our few, you know, this, this went on for years and years and, and it was when you came back to the show, uh, mm-hmm. when, what well, was that? 2012? Yeah, I was in 12 yeah, okay. when I, so you guys started up with the, you know, uh, the talking metal critiques again, sure. although it was it was less. I don't feel like you were doing it as much as you had done in sure. years past. I I listened to a lot of them, not all of them. But the one thing that I started to notice, and I may be wrong and you can correct me about this, is mm-hmm. when I'd listened to you doing these critiques after the long break, I started to get the sense that some of them, you were kind of just going through the motions. Uh, and and I didn't feel the sincerity that the attacks had previous to your break. And again, this is just my opinion. But no, it, it, it. I, I remember listening to one one day. I remember exactly where I was. I was uh, like on a lunch break at work. And I was like, specifically you, since you were kind of leading the attack. But I felt like, well, Neely is kind of like pushing him along on this. And it doesn't even really sound like he's doing that, doing this from his heart. And that was when I decided to write you the first email, because sure. I kind of felt like uh, enough is enough. And, and I, I, I the, you know, it's time I, we at least talk and I was getting this sense that you were almost doing it for the fans at that point. I mean, am, am I on uh, any Fear- truth to this?
3: No, there's 100% truth to that. I, um, I, I went through a whole thing and, and you read it in the books, you know, right. you're, you read it in victories Yeah, where victories. I really tried to change myself, you know, and I just didn't want to, I spent so much time prior to my divorce, just being a hateful, raging fucking asshole, <laughs> just to be blunt about it.
1: Right.
3: And, and and I didn't want to do that anymore. I just didn't want to do it. And when we came back, I didn't have the, the same energy. You know, I mean, a part of it, there was a part of it that was, you know, at the time the feud started, yeah, I was very mad. Right. You know, I, I was I was very mad and the fire that I was spitting was very real. It was... Yeah. It was real good that we had a 1,000 miles between us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was really good that that was the way it was, where the worst place we could fight with each other was on the microphones. Right on. But when I came back, you know, and I, and I even, I think I wrote about, I don't remember, but I think I wrote about a little bit about the Talking Metal feud and, and the the Dirt Talk feud as well in victories. Very victories, yeah. Brief, yeah. brief, but I, yeah, I, mean, I it didn't was enjoy it, yeah it was brief but it was but even that you know i'm going through a divorce and in my head that kind of stuff was still in my head of you know i couldn't justify it to myself anymore right so so we um you know when 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 i came back to it to the show i i the listeners were immediately like you know we did a couple bits and they were funny and they were different but immediately it was like I, I start getting emails about, you got to hear Talking Metal 326 where Mark says this or John says this. And I was like, you know what? Okay. Let's see if that's still there. And we did a few of them and it just wasn't. And me and, and Neely and I both, we had a conversation after. I don't think we only did. I think we only did like two or three maybe at the most.
2: Uh, and, possibly. Yeah. I don't know.
3: And, and it just wasn't. We both agreed. It just was what that was at the time wasn't where my head was now and my head was in a different place. And, um, so it, and and I just don't need that in my world anymore. You know, I don't need wars and I don't need feuds and I'm trying my damnedest not to be angry anymore or not as angry or whatever, but it, you know, it, it made sense to, to let it go. And, almost like clockwork that's when you hit me up and, and it's like wow okay this is this is different this is something i never saw in a million years coming and and to be you know so that the listeners know it wasn't like we were all backslap. okay buddy now let's let's be buddies type of a thing either you and i had right. some heat heated back and forth yeah definitely You know, in in the emails and but we worked we worked through it. And I think we both came to the compromise or I don't even know it's a compromise. It's just the way that it is, that it that it was stupid to carry on something from what, 11 years earlier or whatever it was. And I didn't want to do it. And you know what? And I've said it on the show. I'll say it right to you. Talk about tremendous balls to come into the into the lion's den of the CMS. Right. You know, I I know that could not have been comfortable. And I know you had to be like, how long before these two assholes turn on me and make me me look like a dick? And, you know, and it just it just worked out, I guess, the way it was supposed to be. and, And I'm good with where we are now. I'm very good with it
2: yeah me too and you know it was it was interesting actually meeting neely in in the physical sense at at 3 sure. uh I, you know it was fun i when john was talking to you on the phone i was talking to neely the whole time and and it was uh really cool to shake his hand and he was so cool to us by the way i mean he did stuff he didn't have to do he was he, you know here, here's a guy we fought with for years. We shake his hand. He's like, oh, yeah, how are you guys? He's like, come meet Don Dockin, you know, and takes us right backstage to meet Don and get pictures with Don. Hell of a nice guy. And I really uh, appreciate him taking us in to meet Don and, and just spending some time with us at M3. So that was awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah no, when, when Neely put John on the phone, you know, I, I was extremely drunk. And with with that being, being said, you know, it, it was... I, the, the segment re- went really well, and I was really happy that, that we were able to finally do that. But I cannot tell you the hate that I took immediately. I wow. mean, two seconds after we hung up, it was it was why don't you cup his balls, Chris? And, right. you know, <laughs> 15, 15, messages on the on the Facebook and Twitter and the and the chat room went crazy. And, you know, but but you know what? That's OK, because. That's kind of the, that's kind of the backlash that I built up by by carrying a a ten year feud that should have been solved in five minutes with one phone call. Right. right you know, right. but but that you know that's kind of the the lesson you learn is you know you you take a beating when you when you build yourself up to be one way and you change.
2: Yeah. Cool. Well, well I'm glad I'm glad we're at this point. And dude, I'd le- definitely like to. Come to the pinball museum, get a tour by you, and then we got to grab a beer sometime. Is that is that a possibility?
3: Absolutely, dude. Any anytime you want to come out that way, I know it's a little drive for you, but you know, you let me know when, and I'll make the drive from here as well, and we'll we'll you know we'll go do it. And we'll, there's a place to get lots of beer right next door, so absolutely.
2: Tell tell me about the the pinball museum, where it is, and what it's all about.
3: Sure. Well, the name of the place is uh, Pinball PA. It's a um, it's located in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, which is about eh, maybe 20 minutes uh, south of Pittsburgh. Um, we've got 410 odd games on the floor. There's 200 and whatever pinball machines and 200 something, um, you know, vintage arcade games. It's all the vintage stuff. It's I mean, there's a few things that are from the 2000s, but almost everything is the 80s and 90s and 70s. And all the way back to the 40s, we have a couple machines. Um, a lot of rare stuff, a lot of cool stuff. Um, and you know, it's, it's what you'd expect. It's, you know, we do birthday parties and and that kind of stuff. So, but, but I mean, it's, it's about, it's about going in and playing those video games that you remember, whether it's asteroids or space invaders or joust or kicks or what, you know, whatever the games are, you know, we, we, there's a really good chance that we have them there. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big venture. It's a, it was a big venture for me. And, Certainly, at the, at a time when I already had one business going, and I'm in the middle of writing books and everything, it might be ambitious to do that. But I'm not scared
2: of that. <laughs> right on. And you know, let's let's talk about the books too, because I read Little Victories and thought it was a great read. The Metallica one. What what is the official name of the Metallica one?
3: Uh, just ca- cause and effect Metallica.
2: Right, which is also a great read. But the the most recent one I read, which was a while ago at this point, but um, was the Call Me Chris. And for as much listening as I have done to CMS, I never really fully understood the seriousness of this, this accident that you have, sure. that you go into in in all its gory details in, in, in call me Chris. I mean, this was a accident where you almost lost your life. Uh, just very intense. And it's, it's a, it's a great read. It's call me Chris by Chris Aiken. It's sometimes uncomfortable, but it's, it's, uh, I, you know, also there's something, about it that's uh, rewarding as you read it because you you see you you see Chris take this journey after having this this terrible accident and where is the best place people can pick this book up
3: always amazon i mean amazon is is an easy way to get it um, i sell them on i've got a website for for my books which is ChrisAikenbooks.com. Um, either place is good. You know, I, I mean, they're, they're anywhere that, that sells books really like Barnes and Noble has it and Barnes and Noble's website has it and it's pretty much anywhere and it's, it's done really well, which is, you know, (laughs) surprising me that, that, a, a book about being burned up would, would sell thousands of copies, but it has, and it's, you know, it's, it's very rewarding, I guess. And is it therapy for you when you write these, these books? Um, you know what there, there there are different reasons really i, I don 't know it, i wouldn 't call call me Chris Therapy because man, it was tough to put my brain back into that mode, yeah,
2: but you some know? of that some of the book was written many years earlier, right, and then you kind of finished. Sure.
3: Well, the whole thing was written twenty whatever years ago. It was form. It was for a form of hand therapy. I, you know, the doctors gave me a tennis ball and were like, "Here, squeeze this ball to try and make my fingers work again." Right. And I did that for like three seconds and threw the ball away and was like, "You know, I ain't doing that." So they they wanted me to type. So I started pecking and typing. You know, to to try and get my fingers to work again, and that's how this thing got written originally. Was I was just writing about my day to day stuff and thoughts and whatever, but somewhere along the way I lost the manuscript. And when I started the pinball business, my friend Ed, who's who was uh, he's my curator at the at the museum, he he said to me, he's like, dude, I have a copy of your manuscript. Wow. And I was like, really? So he he gave it to me, and I and I looked through it. And it was after Little Victories came out, and I was like, wow, this really sucks. <laughs> you know? It was right. like it <laughs> the writing was so bad by comparison to where I've gotten now. So I I rewrote a good amount of it, but I what I did was I, I read each chapter and I rewrote like I pretty much rewrote the whole book, but then I kind of compared chapters to see where the raw emotion felt better than me being, I don't know, retrospective looking at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and basically what it turned into is the early chapters, the first six, seven, eight chapters are are old writing, but then everything after that, where I started evaluating, you know, how I was feeling and how I was treating people and everything else, that was definitely more that I wrote in 2000 and I guess it would have been 14, you know, I, I, I all that stuff in 14.
2: Now, in the book, you detail this this trip to a Pantera concert where you're you're in the hospital and probably really in no shape to be venturing outside of the hospital, yeah. but you go to see Pantera live. And can can you fill yeah. the listeners in a little bit uh, on what actually happens with this story and and uh, tell us about leaving the hospital oh. to see this band?
3: Sure. No, I love this story. This is my favorite story in the whole book. Yeah, it's a great uh, one. My my friend Scotty came up to the hospital, and he was he he comes to visit me, and, and this is in like January, and the, the doctors are all telling me at the time I'm not going to leave the hospital till August, but Scotty comes up and he's like, "Dude, you're going to be mad, you know," but I got to tell you something. I was like, "Okay, you know, I'm thinking it's work stuff, or they're suing me, or right. you know what? With the with the legal nonsense," and he's like dude, Pantera's coming in April and without even hesitating. Now, meanwhile, I'm, I'm laid up in a hospital bed, tied Jesus on the cross style because they've been doing surgery all over me. Right. You know, can't move, can't, can't stand, haven't stood up in weeks. And I'm, and I looked right at my friend Scotty and I was like, dude, go get me some tickets. And he's like, dude, you're not going to go. You're not, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to go, but I'll get you a t-shirt or something. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, go get me some tickets. And and he kept him on. And finally I just got nasty. I was like, God damn it, go get me some fucking tickets. You know, I I like yelled at him. All the alarms in the room start going off the <laughs> running in, thinking I'm stroking out or something. Right. And and he's like, okay, 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 I'll go get you some tickets. So two days later, he shows up with a pair of tickets. And I had one of those little cork boards in front of my in front of my bed and I had them take all the get well soon cards off it. And I had them put those two tickets on the board and take a marker and just put circles around that, around the tickets and nobody would put anything over the tickets. Right. And I used those tickets every time I wanted to quit doing something, every time they were killing me with rehab or killing me trying to work my fingers or, or whatever, you know, I was like, I'd look at those tickets and I was like, Nope, give me some more. You know, if right. I felt like passing out, I would, you know, which happened a lot. I would be on the verge of passing out. and The last thing I would see is those tickets as I was passing out. And the last thing I would say to those nurses was keep doing the stuff if I pass out because I, I was not going to quit. So fast forward a couple months, I worked and lied and cheated my way into going home. I I, I went home in whatever the, whatever the, the Monday after the Super Bowl was in 1995. Mm -hmm. So it's way early. I was supposed to be there till August. I went home like February 5th or whatever the date was. And the Pantera show was like April, whatever. And I was, I mean, I was, I should not have been home. I I just, I couldn't function. I couldn't, I couldn't get up to go to the bathroom or, or get a, get a, a cup of milk or what, you know, I couldn't do anything. I was literally just, I became my wife's patient instead of the doctor's or the nurse's patient. But come time for that Pantera show, I absolutely went. And, and I mean, my two buddies had to go with me and they kind of, they sat in a wheelchair. No, No, I I, I walked in, I walked in, I refused to sit sit in a wheelchair. The the wheelchair, this is so stupid. The wheelchairs had a little tag by the company that made them, which is Invacare. Right. And I was like, I'm not an invalid. I'm not sitting in the chair <laughs> and, and I wouldn't sit in the chair. I mean, it would take them hours sometimes to get me from appointment to appointment in the hospital Yeah. because I wouldn't sit in the chair. I'd walk 10 feet, lean on a wall, walk 10 more feet, lean on a wall, but I was not going to sit in those chairs. Wow. It's just my, my stubborn idiot attitude, I guess. But I went to this Pantera show, and my my two buddies, who uh, you know I love them to death, my friend Scotty and and Andy, two big boys, they they got me into the show. They we sat in the furthest that we could possibly sit at the top row of these bleachers at uh, the venue, which is Rhodes Arena, which is like a it's it's like a basketball court basically for Akron. For Akron University. Okay. And I sat at the top bleacher against the wall, and these two guys positioned themselves around me so nobody could bump into me. And I sat in these bleachers and I was pouring blood everywhere, through my shirt, through my pants, through everything, because I was still ripped up. Yeah. But I went. And in my mind, that was that was, you know, that was what I wanted to do, which was to get back to being normal. And and it was normal. And, you know, the nice byproduct out of it was that I, I ended up becoming really good friends with the Pantera guys, you know, a little later in life. And I still am. You know, one one of my proudest moments recently was that Anselmo read my book. Wow. That's awesome. And, you know, I was talking to him. He's doing that Bill and Phil that with um Bill Mosley. Right. That that record and I I talked to him and I was like dude did you read the chapter and he was like oh my god dude that was you I I didn't even realize it was you and nice. you know it's awesome it's amazing awesome. and you know it, it's it's been a really cool ride pantera's been my favorite band it was my favorite band before that and to actually have something of substance good come out of this accident where you know, I got to be friends and I got to do many, many cool things with my favorite band on the on the planet wh- is, you know, I, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but I wouldn't trade what I got from it either. It, it's funny. I'm right. looking right up in my office here. I literally have the t-shirt that I bought at that show nailed up to my wall and it oh, will never, awesome. it'll never come down and it looks tacky as shit and I don't care because, you know. I look at that every day now when I want to quit when business or whatever is being, being shitty. And I look at that and like, yeah, I can beat just about anything.
2: Wow. And you got to know not only Phil, but the other guys in the band and sure. of course Dimebag. And you know, there was, I guess it was that tragic day, 2004, right? Where <laughs> we, we lost Dimebag. And I, I always think it's, it's just incredible that, you were literally one of the last guys to talk to him. I mean, the last yeah. interview Dimebag Daryl ever did in in Ohio that that tragic day was was with you. Can can you go back and think about that day? Where where did the interview take place?
3: Yeah, the, that interview was. Um, I don't know. It wasn't that day, but it was. It was it like wasn't? right. Okay. It was right then. It was right in that. I know it wasn't that day because they were on an off day, okay and, and they were they were um we had worked it out uh, again because i i I knew them a little bit, and I knew the publicity people it's this' is damage plan we're talking about, yeah, it was damage plan and I had um you know between myself and my partner on the metal show matt we we knew all the players to make this happen, and we just um you know we. We, our friend Billy Morris, who's been in Warrant and Tough and, you know, all those bands, he had a, he had a really nice studio and we just asked him if we could set up and do it in the studio. So it would be really clean recording and and a really good thing. So we did it at his studio and we had those guys in and they sat on stools and I sat on a big old speaker <laughs> in front of them and even though I personally am friends with those guys. And I think you've heard this interview. I have. Yeah. I I didn't pull any punches. You know, I, I went at them. Yeah. Because that was at the time when Philip was saying all his stuff and they were saying all their stuff. And, and I had just interviewed Phil like two weeks prior and I wasn't going to just let it all slide. And I didn't. And we had a tough interview, but a, but a good interview. And and one of the funniest stories that I have from that was so we do the interview and um, at the end of it, you know, we, we did IDs and whatever. And then right. and at Vin, Vin and Dime kind of cornered me and they were like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, what? And they were like, dude, really? Do, you, do we need all that? And I was like, come on, you. what am I supposed to ask you guys? And Vince was like, yeah, yeah, I get it, you know, whatever. But uh, Dime was not hearing it. And Dime was like, Dime was like, you stay right here, brother. You stay right here. I was like, okay. So he walks across the studio to uh, to the other end of the studio where there's a bunch of gear piled up. Yeah. He drags over this big amp, you know, that's, that's about as big as the amp that I was sitting on. And it was a big amp. You know, I don't, I don't know shit about gear, but it was a big, <laughs> big, enough amp to to sit or stand on. And he climbs up on top of the of the the amp, and he goes, "We're gonna we're gonna battle this out, karate kid style." <laughs> and, I, and, and you know, I'm I'm a big dude, man. I'm a three three fifty guy, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, get up here, get up here." And I and I climbed up on the speaker, and he gets into the karate kid pose. <laughs> And I said to him, I said, I said, Dime, I'm telling you now, if we're going to do this, I am going to kick you. And he's like, bring it on, brother, bring it on. And I was like, okay. And I get up in the karate kid pose and, and you know, there's a bunch of people gather around and it's like three, two, one, boom. And we both kicked each other right square in the chest and we (laughs) fell off the stairs. And of course. Everybody made sure Dimebag was okay, and I just laid on the floor, you know, wow. <laughs> <no> <laughs> help at all. But, you know, and then we got up and, you know, hugged it out and laughed it off, and, yes. and it, it was good. But, you know, that's the kind of cat that guy was. I, I, You know, I know I don't have to tell anybody that Dimebag was awesome, but— my experiences with dimebag were nothing but awesome i miss that guy all the time i hate december 8th it is yeah. a it, it's a it's a day that makes me tremendously sad not only because we lost a great musician but i personally lost a friend and i hate that it happened in my state you know i i i know yeah. that shouldn't matter i you know i don't think it it would be any better if it happened in arkansas or somewhere but it's pretty tough knowing that you know It happened in a venue that I've been in a hundred times. Right,
2: right. Had you been planning planning to go to the the show?
3: You know what? It it was far enough away that I wasn't. You know, I I mean, it was El El Rosa Villas, like two, two and a half hours from me. Okay, and and it was you know it was during a week, so that wasn't happening for me personally, but. you know, and, and to be honest, I didn't like the Damage Plan record that much, you know, no, <laughs> yeah. guys, but you know, there's like two songs that I like on that record and the rest of it's kind of like, eh, whatever. But, you know, I, but I was friendly with those guys. I, you know, I, I'm still friendly with, with Phil. Vinny, you know, I I've talked to Vin a few times since, but I mean, you you've run into Vince. He's very protected now about everything he does. And yeah, I mean, we've uh,
2: I've interviewed him, I think, three times maybe two two or three times since you know i I, i've only interviewed him two two or three times but uh it's been since you know december 8th 2004 and i've always every time the publicist has been you can't ask him about this you can't ask him about that you know all the stuff you want to ask him about so which you know i've tried to be respectful of that but yeah
3: Oh, it's it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to just say, "Well, I was asked not to ask you about watching your brother get gunned down," but let's right. talk about let's, it anyway. Yeah, you know, you know, that's kind of a dick move.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, even even don't ask him about Phil. Don't ask. You know, don't yeah. ask him about Pantera. I remember the one time they were like, I, "I said I can't even ask any questions about the band Pantera." They were like, "No." So
3: <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I I would have passed on that one. Yeah, but but I I mean Phil Phil to me is probably the most misunderstood guy of the bunch because if if you get to know Phil, Phil is like beyond awesome. He is he's definitely he'll take the shirt off his back if you're cold guy. Yeah. But he's just you know, he also again, maybe in Chris Aiken fashion, he says a lot of stupid shit sometimes and you know and um, and has to answer for it and you know. Yes. But, but I, I mean, I have nothing but, but good things to say about Phil. The only guy I never really got along with was Rex in the band and just, I don't know, I had bad run-ins with him and he was kind of a dick at several things that we did. But, but even with that, I, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you know, you've been around enough bands to know there's one of those in every band. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, Rex too in his book. I don't know if you read his book, but he he goes off on he he just hates doing interviews. He hates anybody in in radio or press. I mean, he has a, a thing in his book where he just like basically throws anybody who is you know interested in interviewing him over the you know over the side. You know, so it's uh, it's kind of interesting.
3: Yep, it is. But overall, you know, I I do have good me personally. I have great history with Pantera. I have nothing but love and respect for those guys, you know, um, you know, and I hope they all do well. And I wish, you know, I'm one of those guys that actually does not want the reunion. I just think that without that, back, there's no reason. I mean, hell, Zach gave me a guitar to give my son when he was born. I mean, I'm I, I love Zach, but. But I I wouldn't I I personally would not want to go to see a show with Rex and Phil and Vince and Zach trying to mimic Dime. Yeah. To me, that to me, that's disrespectful to me. The band died when Dime did. And and I think it should be left there.
2: No, I hear you. Definitely. And and why tarnish that legacy with something that, you know, no matter how good the players are on stage, it's just never going to live up to what they were, you know?
3: And, and dime as, as great as dime was as a player, what made dime was his energy. You know, I, I mean, if anybody that ever saw Pantera shows, yeah, the playing was awesome, but equally awesome was when he would be running around the stage, spraying people with shaving cream, you know, while they're trying to do their drum solo or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he brought such an energy, that dude I, and and you know I talk about this one time all the time. I was I, they Pantera it was Pantera Anthrax and Sebastian Bach were playing a gig at um in Akron. Okay. And okay. Phil had Phil had actually hooked me up and and we were backstage partying our asses off at like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't even know why they were there, but they were all it they were all there. So it was Phil Dime um uh, Scott Ian uh jo- John Bush Sebastian and like all the road crew right we're just and, and we were getting blasted i mean just just freaking tons of of booze and and everybody's telling stories and you know i was in heaven i got all my favorite rock guys around me and i'm just hearing stories about you know stuff they'll never tell in the press and that i'm not allowed That's to awesome. even tell you know but uh, so i'm sitting there and i'm getting hammered and then it's like Sebastian has to go on and Sebastian goes out there and he's just ripped and he played a terrible show. Just, yeah. just, he's all slow and slow and shitty. And then anthrax comes out and they play a bad set because they were equally hammered. So then Pantera comes out and absolutely destroys anyway, you know, yeah. cause they're so used to it playing like and, that. Yeah. And what I remember most was that in the in whatever national magazine just happened to cover that that show. And and they were they were like, there must have been the line was there must have been some shenanigans because none of these guys could play tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember reading that. I was like, yeah, there were some shenanigans. All right.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Great stuff. Yeah. Chris. Thanks so much for coming on and talking with us tonight. It's, uh, sure. it's been great having you on the show. We're going to have uh, links up in today's show notes with with uh, links over to the Classic Metal Show. We'll put up uh, your your Twitter account. What else? Facebook,
3: Facebook, whatever yeah. the, the the website, all that stuff. Oh, it's oh, all yeah, good. And it's... We'll
2: have we'll have links up to Chris's book, which I, I really we're going to link the uh, Call Me Chris book, but I I really recommend all all his books. And there's another one coming soon, right? Is that there
3: is? And that one's going to be a, that's going to be a fun debaucherous book. I'm, I'm going to shed my, um, my label as a uh, self-help guy. And it's literally, I I spent three years in Korea and a bit of time in Arizona, just drinking and partying it's a sex drugs and rock and roll book all
2: right cool well i will be reading it definitely
3: it's it's definitely different (laughs) but it's but it's
2: fun and when can we expect that
3: uh probably early next year because i'm slowly working through it but no dude i really appreciate the time and you know if i got a message to you all of your fans it's you know everybody please stop you know being pissed that we fix things Right. yeah because, uh, and I say that to my fans as well. It's not like it's, it's not like I'm saying it here and then I'm spurring our guys on. You know, it's the, the, those days are done. You know, we're on to bigger and better things. We did do some. you know, we did the podcasting summit together and, and, you know, that was a nice step and you came on the show, which was a nice, step. I don't think we have to I don't think me and you have to fight anymore or me and John. And therefore I don't think our fans have to be at war with your fans and vice versa. So let it go.
2: Absolutely. I was glad John spoke to you and it was funny, you know, John was the guy too at M3. Uh, come to think of it. He was the guy who was like, Hey, that's Neely. Like he, I, I wouldn't probably have not known what Neely looked like, but, um, sure. yeah, John somehow knew and, uh, he, he made that uh, connection and I was very happy that he, Spoke with you because, honestly, for for until he did that, there was always kind of this weirdness where I didn't want to misrepresent him in anything sure. that that I said, you know, uh, to to you or just publicly about about classic metal show and. I know there are probably some people disappointed that he actually went on the show, because I, I, I think I shared, a, there was an Instagram post or something not oh, too yeah. long ago, where somebody was like, I can't believe you are friends with Classic Metal Show now. Well, at least John has isn't. and
3: uh, <laughs> <laughs> He has some integrity, damn it. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, that's what it was like, yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> well, it's all good now, so yeah. everybody can stop being mad and you know, maybe we'll find a new war so that you guys could be happy with yeah. us. Again.
2: Yeah, does dirt talk, what's going on with that? Are you still at war with <laughs> not, those guys? N-
3: not really. I, I mean, they went away and, and the rev is now the moose and he has some, some underground, underground metal thing that it, whatever. Yeah. You know, not, it's, I, I'm, I'm just not at that. I'm not at that place anymore. I don't have the only war I tend to seem to be accused of is Eddie, Eddie trunk. And that's, you know i don't i don't consider it a war right i just didn't right. i didn't like him trying to steal our news so i doctors, don't know right, yeah. yeah, i didn't i i just i just thought that was a bitch move and and i said it to him right. and you know and now whatever he I, I guess he made nice with neely too so you know i guess there's no wars going on
2: <laughs> okay all right well chris great talking with you and Again, let's do this again. I think we were talking about getting all four of us on on the classic metal show sometimes. So maybe yeah. in a few months or
3: yeah, sooner,
2: he, we can do that.
3: Whenever, whenever you guys can arrange on your side, you know when we're on. So yeah. by all means, we can we can do it.
2: Which reminds me, guys, classic metal show live every Saturday night, nine p.m. to three a.m. East Coast time, and you can. It streams where? It streams on Spreaker, uh, right? It also. On,
3: it's on spreaker or cmsradio.net or uncontrollednoise.com those are the three places that it, it can be heard but the only recommendation i'd make is uh make sure the kids are in bed first <laughs> yeah definitely definitely
2: <laughs> all right chris take care and uh let's uh, talk again soon
3: sounds good man thanks for the time and
1: you're living with a secret that will you. Control- For want too long You visualize A tragedy That you're buried long
2: There a little Iomi, Tony Iomi that is with Glenn Hughes, a song that Chris uh, references in his book. You know he does this real cool thing in the book where at the he does it in his first book too, um, where at the beginning of each chapter he quotes some lyrics that um, from a song that kind of like lead you into his his writing about um, whatever topic that chapter is is about, and that is is one that is uh, about halfway through Call Me Chris the book Call Me Chris Chris he references that song right there Iomi use face your fear and it's it's very cool again each chapter he does that with with different songs and then in the back of the book he has uh links to to Spotify where you can listen to all the music where I uh, you know, I bought the hard copies of the book, but I guess if you were reading them digitally, you could probably just click right on the uh, the link if you were reading them on your iPad or iPhone or something. and it would open up your Spotify. So good stuff and good good read. Call me Chris by Chris Aiken. Again, it's linked through the show notes on talkingmetal.com for this episode. And uh, yeah, support the music we play. go buy that Pantera song Mouth for War. Go buy the c d Iomi use, although I think it's out of print actually it's not on Spotify, it's not on iTunes um they uh have it used on Amazon, but even the used copies are kind of expensive, some of them going for like thirty over thirty bucks so yeah, um maybe you won't be able to go buy that. I don't know I don't know seems like it's currently out of print. great record It's called fused by Iomi and Glenn Hughes on the vocals. With that one, and I think. I'm trying to think, I, I, I th- can't remember. He's done numerous things with uh, with Use. I'm trying to remember if that's the one they went back and re recorded the drum tracks because Dave Holland originally played on them. I'd, I'd need to check that, but uh, anyways, Iomi and Use always make a great combination, and uh, again, that is a great record fused by Tony Iomi and of course, Glenn Use. Looking forward to. New music from Glenn, hopefully coming soon. Black Country Communion. I believe just wrapping up recording. That's, of course, Glenn Hughes, Jason Bonham, son of the great John Bonham, and Joe Bonamassa, just an amazing player. Uh, you know, Joe, I have some of Joe's recordings on, on MP3, and I, I do like a, a few of them. A couple of them I really like some of the the slower stuff actually. However, when you see Joe play live, which my wife and I had the opportunity to see him play live uh probably about 2 years ago, he will just blow you away. Such a deep, rich Rock, blues player highly recommended you know like I said the his his recordings never quite capture his greatness but he is amazing Joe Bonamassa and again the three of those guys in the studio or I believe have already possibly left the studio uh, and we have a new record from them under their uh, their name Black Country Communion guys thanks for joining me on this episode of Talking Metal to take us out let's uh Let's do Soul Sacrifice by Power Trip.